Good morning to you. 8.42. Venezuela has been darkened by a major blackout, a third last month uh, over the weekend. And, well, with the UN telling us 94% of the population are in poverty, 1.9 million malnourished. It's a bleak situation. We're seeing images on the news, maybe you've seen them as well, of fires burning after protests, thousands taking to the streets. Understandably, they're frustrated. They're lacking water. They're lacking electricity. We've got a pair of guests on the line. Lucas Kerner of Venezuela Analysis. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. And Ana Vanessa Herrero, New York Times reporter in Caracas. Uh, Both of you on the scene. Ana Herrero, good to have you back with us. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, this is a a horrendous situation to look on from afar. What was the reality for both of you there? Can we start with you, Mr. Kerner? Sure. The reality is very complex. And I think that whether you have this image that as you described of people starving and, you know, largely 94% of the population living in poverty, the situation is much more nuanced. While certainly there is hunger, there is, you know, absolutely disturbance in daily life as a result of these blackouts. You know, there's no shortage of food. In fact, if you go walk through the streets of Caracas, you'll find no shortage of well-fed people there, despite the very difficult challenges with hyperinflation. But at the same time, there's not a societal breakdown. You do see, you know, despite these blackouts, you know, Caracas has largely been in calm, somewhat with the exception of yesterday, where you saw some isolated violent disturbances, in some cases of looting. But, you know, largely, despite these, this very challenging month of March we've lived through, you know, I would say that the situation has been exceedingly calm. And if you had a similar situation in any city in the United States or even Seoul, South Korea, you might see massive looting, which has not taken place. Ms. Herrero, is your experience the same? Well, well, yes, yes, it is the same, and I completely agree with that. I mean, uh, there's, uh, it's too calm for what you would have expected uh, after uh, three, two major blackouts and at least, uh, you know, three days with the electricity just on and off every three or four hours. Um, I've been speaking with a lot of people, and the main concern is basically, okay, we don't have any uh, enough money to buy food, and when we can manage actually to um, buy some food, now it's getting bad because, of course, it's, it's not uh, resisting this, uh, uh, this uh, situation. And uh, also, all the, uh, the electrical devices, everything um, from a fridge to uh, washing machine uh, are suffering and getting something like that. I mean, even so, something so simple because someone that, you know, it's listening to me is maybe saying, oh, but they're bigger issues right now. And yes and no, because that is actually the reality of people inside of the household in Venezuela. How do we manage to, um, you know, take care of our stuff, the stuff that we have left because we have either no money to buy new stuff or uh, we can't access here because there's, of course, a lot of everything. They, basically, every um, uh, a lot of things are, are, are missing in the country. So it is a complex situation. It is a situation that mixes uh, the humanitarian crisis that Venezuela is facing for the past uh, couple of years and that it's getting worse this in 2019. And also it's a situation that um, brings this little issues in every single household in the country that right now are huge issues to be solved. Mr. Kerner, can you update us also on the 
on the political situation. Juan Guaido had been seen as the upcoming alternative to President Nicolas Maduro. But now, I mean, we're hearing reports this morning here that Venezuela's chief justice has asked politicians to strip him of immunity, taking a step towards prosecuting him for alleged mm-hmm. crimes. Uh, so, so Mr. Kerner, do, do you do you see this now as being a, a step towards solidifying President Nicolas Maduro's grip on power? I think it's important to understand the background to this, that Nicolas Maduro was elected on May 20th in an internationally supervised election and won the votes of 6.2 million Venezuelans, that's around 30% of the voting population in an election the opposition in Washington refused to recognize preemptively and decided to boycott. You know, that doesn't uh, invalidate the fact that there was an opposition candidate that ran. Mr. Guaido, he uh, stood up in a plaza on January 23rd and declared himself interim president of the country, citing Article 233 of the Constitution, even though there was no absolute vacuum of power as described in that article and moreover within 30 days he did not you know under that article he would have to convene elections a new elections within 30 days he did not do so and for that reason many of why those allies like germany are now balking at him and you know given that as elite abrams the special envoy to venezuela and a u.s special envoy in a press conference said you know that he appeared to be the interim president of an interim that has not begun yet so there definitely is a a Unfortunately, we've just lost the line there with Mr. Kerner, and and this is something that we have experienced before mm-hmm. crossing to Venezuela. Um, yeah, it's ironic in a sense, this is isn't it? Very common. Well, it, it, it's ironic, Ms. Herrero, that you know here we are having a conversation, Mr. Kerner trying to sort of tell us that things are not necessarily as bad as they seem, and the line cuts off. What's um, I mean, what's what, your view? What I think he, well, what I think he's trying to get, and I also agree at a point, is that uh, when you have, when you face this kind of situation politically, socially, and and then you know with the blackouts, which complicates everything, you would have expected more. I mean, we actually we were expecting so much more, more uh, movement on the streets, more protests. Although we have seen some, um, I was expecting more. Uh, because it is getting so complicated to do anything. But the truth is that people are so busy right now trying to survive and trying to, um, you know, manage and, and, and get a hold of what, what, what's left, whatever is left in their um, lives inside of, of, of the country. Those uh, people that were, are not outside protesting are uh, trying to look for, uh, um, you know, a solution to not uh, lose the meat that they bought with a minimum wage of four dollars that uh, a month that they're making. So yeah. I think that's more or less, you know, the vision. Of course, things are very complicated, as you were saying. I mean, right right now we're having this conversation, and right now I do have internet connection and a line connection, but this can easily change in a matter of minutes. As it did a couple of days ago. Uh, even hotels that usually are the ones that keep everything running uh, had to um, had to cut uh, water. Uh, uh, the, the water for the for the for the people staying in the hotel had to cut the air conditioning. Had to cut the access to all others that were not staying there that wanted, for example, to use internet. So things are very very complicated, but not as complicated as you would have expected. Mr. Kerner, if I can welcome you back in the conversation, it was unfortunate timing as you were speaking that the line cut off. And of course, at a time when we're questioning the the infrastructure of the country, 
but um, do, do you want to just address this idea again of of, of things not necessarily being as they seem. We, we, we have this impression, and you know, we're hearing from the United Nations about the situation in Venezuela. And you were telling us that you're actually seeing an easier situation on the ground there. Um, who is to blame for the problems, do you think, that do still exist? Yes, I think that, as I said, the situation is nuanced in the sense that the, the UN report released by Michelle Bachelet is, is very problematic. For example, the, the 94% poverty figure, if you're looking at purely income, maybe that could be the case. But you're not counting, the, for example, the government-administered food delivery program, which covers over 6 million families, in which you know, it, from either once, once a month or every 15 days, they're getting a food package. Even I've received this package, and you're getting you know, 18 kilograms of rice and beans and other food, and you know, this is clearly a lifeline for you know large portion of the population. Likewise, you're you're not counting the aid that Venezuela the coming in from abroad remittances and other forms of of security that people have. You know, obviously that doesn't mean that life is at all easy in any way. But also, you know, if you go to the eastern parts of Caracas, you're going to find conditions like you might find in Miami. You're going to find uh, food no, no, filled with sorry. high class items. That <laughs> if you go to Los Palos Grandes, you're going to find no, no, class no. Venezuelans are living very well right now, and, and perhaps where Miss no. lives, that might be the case. That it, but if you, it, 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 all you need to do is go to these areas, and you'll see that there is no shortage of, you know, of high consumption items, imported goods, imported cheeses. Yeah. I mean, it's all there. If you, if, for these upper-class Venezuelans who are living here, given how low wages mm-hmm. are, and, you know, the, the, the exchange rate, you know, they're clearly, are, you know, are not living too badly, and this is more than just 6% of the population. M- it's a larger portion of the population. Right, Mr. Kerner, yeah. I, I, I've got to say, I, I mean, I've, I've spoken to Venezuelans in Seoul who have told me everything you see on the news is true and I and I you know I sort of took their word at face value and and now here we are talking to both of you based in Venezuela but we can hear you Ms. Herrero with an alternative opinion. I'm so sorry that I jumped on that but I completely agree on the first part that as I was telling you before um, that you know things are not on the ground right now uh, with protest looting, as, you, uh, as I was telling you, you know, we would have expected something more because the situation is very complicated. But that is um, really not accurate, uh, the things that um, he's saying right now, because I am in the east part of Caracas, and people are suffering the same consequences because having no electricity for five days in a row or for seven days in a row uh, gets the same consequences to everyone, either the ones who live in the slums or the ones who live in a building with um, maybe a water supply that they paid out of their own uh, pocket because they had access to U.S. dollars. Right now, it doesn't matter if you have money or not. The situation hits everyone equally right now, exactly. Now, of course, there is a small part of the population that usually staying here and have uh, big contracts with the government, for example, that are definitely not living this life because they live in huge mansions. Um, these are not the, <laughs> the, the ones that lived in, 19, in 1990, for example, 1992, where Chavez um, uh, tried to uh, accomplish the, the first coup that he was in. Um, and, uh, well, the only coup that, that he was in. Um, these are not the same people. These are uh, people that right now are living out of huge and juicy contracts uh, of the government. This is well documented. So, no, that is not accurate. Venezuelans are not living well. This is not a matter, this is not a condition that no one should live like this. 
definitely no one in the slums should live like this, and no one in the east part or the south part of Venezuela or Caracas or the capital, any other city in Venezuela should live like this. This is not a, a well, a, a well um, way of living. Ms. Herrero, thank you for for that. And Mr. Kerner, we are almost out of time, but I, I, please, can you just offer a, a brief um, response there, if you will? Sure, very quickly. I mean, Ms. Herrera's own publication, New York Times, published an article about a wedding very recently, you know, attended by Venezuela's elite, the, the supporters of Juan Guaido, in which whiskey was being served, open bar, in which 100 kilos of cheese. I mean, this is, there's, for these people, there's not, you know, there's not a crisis. Now, moreover, who is responsible? We need to get to that. There is... You know, you know, even the New York Times is acknowledging that sanctions are playing a very important role in exacerbating Venezuela's crisis. The United States uh, efforts to topple the Maduro government is co- increasing the suffering of the Venezuelan people in a very unprecedented way. Francisco Rodriguez, who is the chief economist of Torino Capital and one of the foremost experts on Venezuela's economy, has indicated that these sanctions, both the 2017 financial sanctions, which prevented Venezuela from maintaining its electoral grid in, in conjunction with its contracts with Siemens and General Electric, but also the more recent sanctions prohibiting the import of diesel fuel, you know, therefore leaving Venezuela's thermal electric capacity. Only one-fifth of it is operating. If this were different, Venezuela's hospitals would have more fuel, and, you know, the backup generators right. for the Guri Dam, the source of 80% of Venezuela's electricity, would have come online and we would have been in a different situation. So, Mr. Kerner, you're, the situation. Yeah, you're effectively blaming U.S.-led sanctions. Ms. Herrero, you've got about 30 seconds or so if you want to offer a, a rebuttal. Is there a one yeah, bad I mean, guy, or what would you say? No, no, there. I, I don't think there's one or many. I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I don't think we have time to discuss that um, the correct way. But definitely, that's just simplifying the problem. Um, the hospitals and uh, poverty and the situation has been crumbling uh, even before, years before uh, the sanctions, and we have been reporting that. And not only us, but uh, many local journalists are, are now shut down by the government. And, and Ms. Herrero, we... Uh, yeah, so you're having your work actually impeded. Um, Lucas Kerner of Venezuela Analysis, Anna Vanessa Herrero of New York Times. It's great to hear two stories, two different situations on the scene for us this morning. And, uh, well, we've got to leave it there, but... I think that's prompted us all to look a little bit deeper, hasn't it? We'll be back tomorrow, 7.05, Inside Careers coming up next.